I'm slightly nervous just today. <laughs> uh, okay. So as we approach our text, uh, I have three questions I want everyone to consider. Uh, not answer out loud, but just consider um, before we think about it. Number one, what is your most painful memory? Uh, number two, what is your most humiliating memory? And number three, what is your loneliest memory? Now I'll pause to give you a brief time to think about that. So there might be some overlap between those questions, but uh, hopefully, as we think through this text today, it will make a little bit more sense why I asked those. Uh, so, where are we in the story that Matthew is telling us? If you have a, a physical Bible with you, it's a bit easier to tell. You can flip a few pages ahead, and you can see we're very close to the end. Uh, Matthew has already told us most of what he wants to tell us about Jesus. He's shown us his miracles, his compassion. Uh, his power over sin, his uh, prophesying of his crucifixion. And all of these things point to his identity as the Son of God, something which the disciples quite clearly didn't always fully understand at the time. But as a disciple himself, Matthew walks us through what it was like to be with Jesus, to feel shocked as he touches lepers, to be amazed he casts out demons, and to be awed as he calms storms that they think are about to drown them. The disciples traveled with Jesus for three years and knew him about as well as anyone could. They were with him every day. They were his most intimate friends, with Jesus even calling Peter, James, and John up with him into the glory cloud in Matthew 17, uh, when God the Father comes down to earth to tell them all, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It doesn't get much clearer than that. Uh, If any of us had a friend uh, that brought us with them to Buckingham Palace, walked past all the security, all the guards, straight up to the queen, and the queen said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased, uh, I think even the most kind of ardent Republican would probably at least take some notice of, uh, of what had just happened. Um, but as we go through this passage today, remembering that, it becomes a bit clearer what kind of friends Jesus had. Now, just to set the scene of where it is, uh, so the Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives, uh, which was just outside of Jerusalem. It was somewhere that uh, the disciples regularly went with Jesus to pray. Um, it's about a mile east of the temple, outside of the city. Uh, Somewhere a little bit quieter than the hustle and bustle, uh, something you notice in London. Um, but also convenient enough that it wasn't difficult to get there. Have you ever been to Edinburgh? Uh, think of somewhere like Arthur's Seat. Uh, nice and green, uh, a little break from the city. Uh, so Jesus taking his disciples out there to sing a hymn. Uh, as Harrison pointed out to me, Psalm 118, uh, after the Passover meal they just enjoyed, uh, wouldn't have been surprising they'd have done that several, probably the last three years together. Um, it was a fairly normal thing. What was surprising was what Jesus had to say to them. 
Uh, now, if at any point uh, I get lost or you get lost following along with me, uh, the two main points I want everyone to walk away with are the depth of God's love for us, that's point number one, and the depth of our need for us displayed in the disciples, that's point number two. So point one, God's love, point two, our need. Um, right, so what did Jesus have to say that was so shocking? Uh, verse 31. You will all fall away because of me this night. So even though Jesus has already foretold to the disciples uh, at least three point, uh, three times by this point uh, that he had to die, this is the first time that he tells them what they will do and how they will abandon him. And it's just as hard for them to understand, if not even harder, than the prophecies about his death. Who thinks that they are capable of abandoning their best friend? Or even more, betraying their closest friend in their hour of need? And verse 33 says uh, what Peter's thinking. Uh, Though they all fall away because of me, uh, because of you, I never will. These are words straight from Peter's heart. They're, they're bypassing his head. Uh, he might know that Jesus has never been wrong about any of this stuff before, but he just can't believe that about himself. He can't believe that he would act in that way. And how many Christians in every age have started exactly the same way? You know, excited to follow Jesus, willing to give their everything for him. No one thinks that they're going to betray someone who has loved them so much and that they love so much. I doubt there's been a single person who's abandoned their faith that first thought, I'll definitely be one of the ones that falls away. There's a reason that humility is a Christian virtue. We're not as infallible as we might think. But even after Jesus doubles down with Peter, verse 34, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He still can't believe it. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. You can imagine the emotion in both of their words. Jesus mournful, knowing that his closest friend in all the earth is going to pretend that he doesn't even know him. And Peter, hearing his best friend tell him repeatedly that he's going to abandon him and betray him. Just how deep that betrayal will go. You know, who could believe that about themselves? I mean, certainly not the other disciples, as, as verse 35 says, and all the disciples said the same. And if there's one thing worse than being betrayed, it's a refusal to acknowledge that it's happened. So Jesus, knowing that he can't convince them of what's going to happen, instead goes to be with his father. He takes the disciples with him. He takes his closest friends to pray with him in this dark night of his soul. And it's fairly obvious to all of the disciples that something isn't right. Verse 37 and 38. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. I'm sure many of us have been with a friend who is extremely upset 
uh, maybe even on the verge of a breakdown. Perhaps they've lost a, dro- a job or a loved one, or they're struggling with an illness, or they've just been completely let down. Whenever we're in those situations, we don't want to leave someone that's in deep pain. But that's exactly what the disciples do. Verse 40, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch me one hour? It's easy to hear kind of caustic rebuke in this uh, verse, but at its heart it's really betrayal. The same Peter who said he'd be willing to die with Jesus at most a few hours ago uh, is now unwilling to even stay out for one hour with him when it's so clear that he's in extreme distress. Uh, a time when, as, as Luke records for us in, in chapter 22, he's so anxious that he's sweating blood. This is, there's a reason this is one of the few times uh, in any of the Gospels that Peter doesn't answer straight back. Because what is there to say? Three times Jesus comes back to find them sleeping. Three times he came back to find himself utterly alone. So it's no wonder that by the time that Judas came to betray him, that he called him friend. Because betrayal and abandonment is what Jesus got from his friends. Now, at this point, it's very easy to imagine that we'd be better. Um, you know, even if we didn't really know Jesus, we probably would have stayed up with him on the night that he was led off to his death. When we saw the blood streaming down his face, we might have wanted to, to be with him, uh, to help him as best as we could, to try and do something for him. But we are all far more like Peter than we imagine. Every Christian might think that we will never abandon Jesus. But all we actually have to do is really look at how we live our lives. And it's fairly obvious to see that we wouldn't be particularly different to Peter and the disciples. We would be among the disciples as they left him and fled. And how can I say that? Well, that is what sin is, biblically. Turning away from God running to ourselves. Every evil thoughts and action that we have, every denigration of a co-worker, verbally or in our minds, every time we let our eyes linger on a body that we like but we don't have any right to, every moment of greed and envy at what others have but we think we deserve, in all those things, we are abandoning Jesus. Sin isn't being bad. It is orienting our souls away from God. A rejection of the one who loves us and gives us every single good thing. And it's an enthronement of ourselves. And it's speaking of sin that we see the true horror of what's going on. Because why is Jesus even here? Why is the king of the cosmos, the living God who created the universe and holds it by his word, a sweating blood in a garden of oil. It's not because he needs to be there for himself. It's because we need him to be there. 
So the God-man, a being whom any pagan myth would be like a Hercules, would come and crush his enemies into slavery for their disobedience, instead comes to be crushed and to drink every last drop of the cup of judgment that his wayward people deserve. It's really not a wonder that Jesus prays in Gethsemane, um, verse 39, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Because what will happen on the cross is the one sinless man who ever lived being judged for the sins of the world. That's what happens there. And it's a list innumerable, a list made by a people born in opposition to him, born hating him. The people who had, were, and will go on until the end of time to continue betraying him. Why would you face the abandonment of a, of a loving father who never, never betrays you, never hurt you, for a people like that? Why would the second person of the Trinity, God himself, make himself nothing, humble himself to the point of death on a Roman cross? Now I asked you to think about those three horrible experiences at the start of this sermon, and I'll ask you a follow-up question now. Would you voluntarily have put yourself in those situations? Because Jesus voluntarily humiliated himself, stepping down from the heavens to be born in a stable. He voluntarily gave himself up to both the most painful physical experience a human can endure, crucifixion, and emotional to be rejected by everyone he loved. A loneliness that few can imagine. I mean, what on earth could motivate anyone to do that? And the answer is love. An incomprehensible love, really. So as Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. How can Jesus say, nevertheless, Not as I will, but as you will. Because that's how much he loves his adopted brothers and sisters. A judgment so unnatural for the only good man to ever lived is upon for love. If you're a Christian, hear this. Jesus died because he loves you. And he was willing to go to the cross, to face down the all-consuming wrath of hell, not out of a sense of grudging obligation, not with a mountain of bitterness, but with an overflowing heart of love for you. And we see that in how he treats the disciples. Because how would you treat a friend that you knew was going to hurt you? I think almost all of us would probably hold them at arm's length, maybe even block them out of our lives before they actually could hurt us. But Jesus, knowing their every failure, from the very moment that he met the disciples, love them. If 
you can open up or, or flip to um, the back of this sheet, um, to John 13. You can look at, uh, sorry, yeah. John 13. Um, this is John's retelling of uh, the betrayal of um, Peter, uh, sorry, Jesus foretelling Peter's betrayal here. But what follows it here in John 14? Immediately after, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus' immediate thought is not of his own pain, his own hurt, and the betrayal to come. But his immediate thought is of the disciples and how they are feeling because of this truthful revelation. And looking a little later in John, uh, chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you still love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The same tenderness and love that that Jesus had treated Peter before he treats him here. He restores him lovingly three times, the same as those betrayals earlier. And it might have grieved Peter at the time when this was being said, but without it, he wouldn't have been able to feel the depth of the love that Jesus had for him. If you ever had a, a splinter stuck deep in your skin, you can know that the most painful part is actually pulling it out. But if you leave it in there, it's never going to heal properly. The pain isn't the point The pain is for the healing. And it's the same way with all of Jesus' work. You know, it's not nice for us to be reminded of our failures. And Jesus, throughout the Gospels, doesn't do that because he enjoys hurting people. But God does that through our conscience and and through his word for our good. To call us to the one who has borne our griefs, who was wounded, for our transgressions, so that with his stripes, we can be healed. I said before that Jesus didn't die because he needed to for himself, but because we needed to. Jesus speaks the most about hell of anyone in the Bible. And he doesn't describe the place that you see in films. Uh, It's not somewhere with a funny-looking man in a red costume and a red background. Um, But the word that Jesus uses for it is Gehenna, which was a burning rubbish pit outside of Jerusalem. More than that, biblically, it's a place of isolation, of disgust and cut off, um, being cut off from everything that is good. And if we see anything in the run-up to Jesus' death, in the way that he is treated, in all endures, it is just a shadow 
of what he really faces on the cross, which is hell for us. He is cut off from God himself there. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't do that for himself. He doesn't become stinking rubbish to God for himself, but for us. So that instead of facing that as a future, we can face eternal love himself with no barriers. If you're not a Christian today, I ask you to think about why not. Have you never considered it? Nothing is more worth your time. Are you not sure it's worth the cost? Think of Jesus. Think of the cost that he paid. Do you think that you don't deserve it? Well, that's the main qualification for being a Christian. The good news is that no one is good enough. But God wants to bless you and has made a path. As Jesus says... There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Come to him while there is still time. God calls out. If you are a Christian, rejoice. God loves you. As our short catechism says in its first question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God doesn't call you to a life of misery, but to a life of enjoyment. Enjoyment of the greatest good that there is. Think of what Jesus has done for us. How he took our hell and gave us his heaven. How can we not enjoy being with a friend like that? I think we ought to think about the words of Jesus in Gethsemane maybe more than Peter did at the time. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do not let your flesh get in between you and joy this week. Bring your troubles to God. Bring him your pains. Let him comfort you. Let him love you. Enjoy serving him. Consider reading through the whole of John 14 this week. I think it really fits with the theme of God's love for us. But remember as well that for all of our failures, Jesus has grace for every one of his pieces. Let me just briefly pray. Father, thank you that you did not hold back your own son from us. Thank you for your love. You wooed a bride for Christ from every tribe and tongue, a people for him to care for for all eternity. Continue as you have promised to grow your church. Welcome the nations into your throne room of grace. Continue to bless those who already follow you, deepen their faith, help them to draw ever closer to you. Let them know more and more of your love each day and help them to listen more and more for your guiding. Remind us of your great grace and love towards us and let that inspire joy in our hearts and guide us to love our neighbours. Amen.